We're going to open our Bibles now. We are taking the introductory verses to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1 to 11. And I'm going to invite Kathy up, and she's going to lead us as we read those this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place of the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, I want to ask you to please keep your Bibles open. Um, there, there's some strange words there. Um, there's some unusual and difficult things there. But we are going to try and uh, make sense of this passage this morning. And it would be excellent if you can follow along um, as we do that together. Now, I think you'll agree with me uh, that the way a thing starts uh, matters. Um, I think we can all agree with that. How, how you start something, the way in which you start something... Uh, it's important. Um, for example, uh, my P's test 17 years ago, uh, how I started that was important. Started at how most people do, rock up at Service Taz uh, in Launceston, you know, meet the instructor, sign all the forms, uh, you know, sign away that if you kill them, it's not, your, it's not their fault, etc., etc. Uh, check the car, make sure it's all good to go, jump in the car, start the car, and the instructor says, well, turn left, uh, left onto Charles Street. Charles Street was a little bit busy, so off we go, try to fit into a small gap and stall. Come to a great shuddering halt, uh, half onto Charles Street. Uh, And as I'm fumbling to, you know, restart the car as quick as I can to stop blocking up traffic, I just happen to make eye contact with the driving instructor. And you know sometimes how a look can just communicate so much? This look did, and it did not, not good things. <laughs> it was not pleasant. Anyway, things went downhill from there, uh, and I was back a month later, uh, trying successfully, thankfully, to get my license. How you start matters. I started that badly. It went really, really badly. How you start is important. And clearly that's true for the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, you may be aware uh, Ecclesiastes has two voices in this book. We have an editor and we have the teacher, or in some translations, the preacher. Uh, You may read in some places, Koheleth, 
uh, which is the Hebrew word. But we'll, we'll just say teacher. The teacher speaks the most. Uh, it's his words, it's ex- his uh, experiences that are recorded for us. The editor collected them. And we see the editor's hand right here at the start. And we see it again right at the end of the book, in the conclusion from chapter uh, 12, verse 8 to the end. Right here, though, we, we see the editor's voice, either in verses 1 and 2 or in verses 1 through 11. We're not sure. But what we are sure of is, whoever put this little bit of the book together is, is trying to give us an introduction to the whole. They're, they've gathered the themes of this whole book and they've put them here and said, this is what the book's about, let's, let's have a quick run-through of the argument and then we're going to unpack it in the next 12 chapters. It's here that we find these key themes, this word meaningless, this, this phrase, under the sun. See, the thesis of this book is that there is an emptiness to life and to effort. That there is a hollowness to human experience. And today we're going to see why. As we open up this introduction, as we set the groundwork for our weeks of study in in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now the teacher has a point in this book, he's going to take 12 chapters to unpack it, but he starts off by by recording it very plainly for us to see. We we can't miss his point, it's right there at the start. Look at verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. (laughs) It's it's lovely, isn't it? (laughs) Such a lovely way to start. For all his living for all his wisdom, for all his experience. This is the teacher's conclusion when it comes to life, meaningless. It is meaningless. Just in case you missed it, the Hebrew sentence is eight words. Five of them are the word meaningless. (laughs) You know, he's he's really trying to hammer this point home. The Hebrew word uh, for meaningless is chevel. You don't have to remember that, I just tell you that out of interest. But the reason I tell you that is... It's a tricky word, and it's an important word in Ecclesiastes. We're going we're to meet it again and again. It's tricky because its meaning is quite hard to pin down. It changes a little bit depending on the context, but even in its most basic form, it's a hard word for us to, 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 to define. Uh, sometimes it means breath uh, or vapour, that's kind of its literal meaning. But, but that hints to what the teacher is trying to get at here by using this word. He, he means meaningless or, or futile or empty or transient or insubstantial. You, you can kind of get a picture. It, it's hard to find one word that nails it, but you can get a picture of what this word is meaning. The, a general idea. We're talking about things here that are hollow. Meaningless, that's the word we're going to typically use. So everything is meaningless, but what everything? (laughs) Because obviously it can't be absolutely everything. If absolutely everything was meaningless, then the statement that everything is meaningless is itself meaningless and makes no sense. So the book kind of breaks down from there. Obviously, there are still meaningful things in this world. In fact, that's a point that Ecclesiastes will go on to make. There are things that have meaning in this world, So what is it that is meaningless? Well, the teacher tells us in verse 3. Look at verse 3. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? What's meaningless? 
Well, it's what's in that question there. It is this laboring under the sun for gain. Now, let's just, let's just unpack what he means there. Um, laboring, we're not talking simply about work here. There's a different word he could have used if work is what he had in mind. Uh, the word here is toil. There's you know, a negative connotation to effort. Uh, it's sometimes translated as drudgery um, or, or striving. Striving is the word we'll use. And he says uh, it's striving or laboring for gain or for profit. He's not just talking about uh, a wage, you know, the right consequences of a work. He's talking about uh, getting ahead. That's what the word means. Um, but it, it's, it's a bit broader than that, a bit richer of a concept than that. It's also, you know, creating something that's meaningful, you know, that didn't used to be. Uh, it can include creating meaning itself or purpose, or worth. Um, wrapped up in this is the, the idea even of a legacy. So the teacher's point is, it is meaningless, that is empty, to strive in this world to get ahead under the sun. Now, under the sun is his way of saying, in this world, you know, in this physical, created existence, this, this sphere of reference. It is meaningless, empty, to strive to get ahead under the sun. That's a hard saying, isn't it? <laughs> that's a pretty confronting thing. Because that's kind of how we live. That's kind of actually how our world is geared to live. Uh, we, we want profit. We want to get ahead. We want to be more than we were. We want to have more than what we did have. We want to make our mark on the world or make something of ourselves or make something of our lives. We want to leave a legacy. And the teacher is saying... Striving for that is meaningless. Or working to that end is pointless. He's saying we are looking for something that cannot be found. Looking for that is like going to Bunnings when you're sick. <laughs> You'll find lots of useful stuff at Bunnings. You'll find lots of really, really helpful stuff. You'll spend more time there than you ever intended to. But you will not find the medicine there that you need because it doesn't exist there. That's not what Bunnings is about. That's the thesis of the teacher. What you need, what you are looking for in this world, doesn't exist in this world. What you are striving for is out of reach. Now that's a big statement. And when you make a big statement, you need big proof. And that's what the teacher does. He offers big proof. The teacher says, I've got it. All you have to do is take a look at the world. He proves his argument by looking at the world around us. He says, first, understand the very simple way in which everything works. Understand the very simple way in which everything works. Look at verse 4 to 7. Generations come... And generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. Do you hear the, the, the simple rhythm 
behind the, the imagery that he's gathering together there. Do, do you hear it? Generations come and generations go. The sun comes and the sun goes. The wind blows and the wind blows again. Streams flow and streams flow again. He says the world rolls on. Its cycles continue and continue and continue. And they go on completely unchanged. They go on completely unfeeling, relentlessly. The world simply rolls on all around us. Around us every single day. Humanity works, humanity exerts itself upon the world, acts upon the world, does things in the world, but the world still rolls on. Uninterrupted, unmoved, simply cycling on. And nothing we do changes that cycle. Now, if you're a gardener, you already know that. Uh, you know, you weed your garden and then you weed your garden again. You mow your lawn and then you mow your lawn again. Uh, and then you stop and think, you know, once upon a time someone cleared this land so that I could have a garden here. If I left this garden for 30 years, no one would ever tell. It would return back to what it was. Parents know this truth. You clean your house and then you clean your house again. You pick up the toys, and then you pick up the toys again. And the house rolls on, chaotic as ever. The world cycles on. We, I mean, we could, how many examples could we draw about this? You clean your car, you clean your car. We could go on. Things return to as they were. This, this inertia of the world, it is, it is unbearable. It keeps going. We can't stop it. We can't affect it. We can't change it. And it means that there's no net gain for our efforts, is there? There's no net change for our efforts because the world just keeps cycling on. And so all of our striving is rendered meaningless to no end. That's the teacher's first proof. The teacher's second proof is humanity itself. Simply look at ourselves because we ourselves are futile. Look at verse 8 through 11. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. So we might be tempted to look at our world, to look at what he's just said about our world and, and say, but yeah, okay, that's true of creation, but, but what about our achievements? What about our advances as humanity? What about the culture that we've brought together? You know, look at what we've done. Surely that's something different. Well, the teacher says that too is simply a cycle. There is nothing new under the sun. It just comes up again and again. But you think, hang on a sec. The teacher wrote this on parchment with probably a feather. You know, we're reading it off paper or a screen that's been printed by a computer. Uh, you may be reading it off a phone. You may have been using the internet to find this. All of these things are new. They didn't exist in the teacher's time. And yes, you are correct, obviously. Uh, the Israel wasn't that technologically advanced. He had no knowledge of those things. Yes, things are new. But the underlying principles and the way things get used 
Those things aren't new at all, are they? We use technology to help us with information, much like he used the technology of a feather to help convey information. We, we develop new things, we innovate, we invent, and none of that in itself is even new, is it? That's been going on for millennia. We make new stuff, we use new stuff, we abuse new stuff in exactly the same ways that generations have used, done for, for thousands of years. As soon as new technology arises, what happens? There's new ways to exploit new technology for, for greed or for self or for exploiting other people through it. Now, everything, every time something new arrives, it gets used in the same way, doesn't it? We invent, you know, atomic power and use it to kill each other. We invent the internet and use it to exploit each other. Nothing is new. And even we ourselves, to, to whom all this stuff matters so much, even we get cycled out of this system. Even we get forgotten. Now you might say, well, that's not true. I mean, we remember lots and lots of famous people. But actually, you know, just stop and think. Stop and think for a moment. Let's, let's for the purpose of argument, say there has been 14 billion people who have ever lived. Uh, it's probably a low-ball figure, but let's just say that. 14 billion people... How many do you know? <laughs> How many names do you remember? See, we say on Anzac Day, lest we forget. But the truth is, we do forget. That's actually why we need to say, lest we forget, isn't it? We forget. Even famous people get forgotten. Uh, a few years back, a new uh, song was released. It was a collaboration um, between between, sorry, Kanye West and Paul McCartney. Now, I know some of you are asking, who's Kanye West? <laughs> For a lot of Kanye West uh, fans were asking, who's Paul McCartney? <laughs> there are actually tweets uh, that came out when the song was released. Uh, here's a couple of them. I love Kanye for shining light on unknown artists. <laughs> here's another one. I don't know who Paul McCartney is, but Kanye is going to give this man a career with this song. That's, <laughs> that's quite remarkable, isn't it? If you don't know who Paul McCartney is, ask one of our older people. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help. Do you really think, do you really think that you can have a lasting impact on this world? Do you really think that, give a generation or two, this world will remember your name? Because it won't. One day, not only you, but even the memory of you will be dust. And what's changed? What profit? What gain from all your striving? Now, the astrophysicist uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson says uh, that we shouldn't feel unimportant. We shouldn't feel insignificant in this world. He says, uh, why? Why? He says, because we are not figuratively, but literally stardust. And therefore, we should feel important. And look, perhaps that's true. Perhaps we are made of stardust. But he doesn't fill the second half of the equation in, does he? One day, we will again be stardust. To what net gain? To what profit? Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. 
The world rolls on, human history rolls on, and there is no profit, no meaning, no purpose to be gained from all of our striving under the sun. Our effort is futile, it is pointless, it is nothing. The teacher says, that is the world that you and I live in. We need to know that. We need to know that is the sum total of our life. That is the sum total of the things that we strive for. And so he says, evaluate your life, re-evaluate your life. Are you striving meaninglessly? Because we do, don't we? We too, we fall into this. We, we find ourselves in this. We, 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 this is how we live. We, we live a life of striving. You know, think of the, think of the adjectives we use for our life. We, we strive for bigger, we strive for better, we strive for more. You know, profit is, is good, gain is good, so go out and get it. We, we always need something else, don't we? We're restless for it, striving for it. <laughs> Not just pointing a finger here. I live this, I see this in my own life as well. You know, I want a better bike because there are better bikes in this world and I could have a better bike and maybe a better bike would make my riding experience a better experience and that will make me a happier, better person. Of course, I could just get fit. That would also help, but, but that's how we live. There is better, so we must strive for better. We work for a better lifestyle. We pursue more consumable income. We, we strive for better living conditions, better opportunities for our kids that weren't like ours, but, but better. We strive for a retirement that will be better than the life we live now. Meaningless. We are striving for something that's not there. There is no profit from all our striving under the sun. There will be no point where you say, I have arrived at what I was striving for. Because that point doesn't exist. It is meaningless. It's like searching for one more Easter egg after they're all accounted for. <laughs> what we're looking for isn't there. So take stock of your life. Take stock of your striving. What are you laboring for? What profit are you trying to gain under the sun? Where is your energy and your effort and your money and your time being directed in order to get? What is the getting ahead, the one more for you? If it's under the sun, in and of this cyclical world, it's meaningless. It is empty and it's futile. And there will be only disillusionment and disappointment ahead. That is life under the sun. Meaningless striving. If this is all there is, then nothing at all matters. If. If this is all there is. Because what if it's not? What if under this sun is not all that there is? So we have to remember, this is 
key to, to reading the book of Ecclesiastes, we have to remember that what the teacher is doing is restricting his frame of reference here. He is restricting it to under the sun. That's all he's assessing. But there's more to that picture, isn't there? We, we, we need to zoom ourselves out constantly. When, we, when we've come to understand what the teacher's saying, we need to then step back from this picture and consider the broader picture. Because as we do that, other things, beautiful things, come into view for us. You know, we expand this timeline. We go just a few hundred years beyond the teacher. And another man walks onto the scene. Another man who was also called teacher. And what does this teacher say? Well, here's what we find in John 18, verse 36. This teacher says, My kingdom is not of this world. He says, there's something else. There's something more than this frame of reference. There's something outside of under the sun. There's, there's a whole other, other out there. And he, that teacher, Jesus, he doesn't just make that claim, but like this teacher, he proves that claim. He shows that it's real. And he shows not only is it real, but it's good. How does he prove it? Well, he does it by leaving the under-the-sun place, leaving this world. We, see that, we saw that at Easter. We, he's, he does that on the cross and in his death. Of course, in itself, that proves nothing. We all die. We understand that. But what's different is he leaves under the sun and comes back. He returns. He's, he's resurrected. And what's more, he comes back saying, there is more than this. I've been there and I've come back. It's real. It exists. There is more to existing than being under the sun. He comes back and it is absolutely paradigm shifting. You know, I'm trying to imagine, trying to imagine you live hundreds of years ago when you know, the popular belief, uh, at least in parts of Europe at least, uh, is, is that the earth is flat. You know, we, we assume the earth is flat, probably a disk, uh, surrounded by water. If you, if you sail a boat far enough, Eventually, you'll get to a point where you're going to fall off. Unfortunately, a few people still believe that, but anyway, we'll ignore them. You know, the world is flat, so don't, don't sail to the edge. Um, no one did, because no one wants to fall off. You know, you're not going to risk that. But then someone did sail that far. Someone said, look, I'm going to try. I'm going to keep sailing and see what happens. I'm going to find the edge. And what happens? They didn't fall off, obviously. <laughs> In fact, they just kept on sailing and they kept on sailing and eventually they came back to a piece of land which they actually knew. They were on the other side. And all of a sudden, the assumptions of the time are exploded, aren't they? The world isn't as we assumed it to be. It's not a flat disk. It's a round globe. How, how astonishing is that? Well, Jesus says your world is not what you assumed it to be. There's more to living than this world. There's more to existing than being under the sun. There's a whole other. And he has come back to life and proved it. And therefore, there is more to life than the meaningless striving the teacher concluded. There is more to life than this endless, inescapable, futile cycle we find this world in. And therefore, there is a place where we can find more than futility, where we can find true meaning and true profit and real gain. It can be had. And more than that, it can be ours. 
Because Jesus says, if we believe, we too can be raised. Death and futility, that endless cycle, the consequence of our sin, that's going to be taken away. And because of that, as, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, as Katie shared in the kids' talk, the resurrection means our labour, your labour, is not or no longer in vain. There is meaning possible, but it's not under the sun. It's in the sun, in Jesus. Now, don't, don't get me and don't get the passage wrong. That doesn't mean that the only worthwhile things you could ever do in life are, you know, church things or directly Jesus things. That's, that's not the point of this passage. The point is, don't search, stop searching in this world for what you cannot find there. Don't look under the sun for what doesn't exist. It's fruitless, it's meaningless, so quit striving for it. There is only frustration there. Rather than strive for this world, simply enjoy this world. We're going to see the teacher say that in a few weeks' time. Instead, strive for Jesus and find the true prophet that exists only in him. And he will free you to live. Not a meaningless, futile life, but truly fulfilled, truly purposeful. See, when we read Ecclesiastes by itself, whilst it's very true, it's very despairing, meaningless, futile, unfulfilled. It's a, it's a dark assessment of our world, isn't it? And if you've lived and strived long enough, perhaps your heart suspected that that's true and has confirmed what the teacher says. But Ecclesiastes 1 doesn't exist by itself. It is the word, but it's not the only word. What we are looking for is found and can only be found in Jesus. Eternity and meaning and purpose. He and he alone frees us from the rat race of fruitless striving. He frees us to live and to live well. No longer a meaningless life, but full and fulfilled. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we give you thanks for Jesus because he has proved and he has opened to us your kingdom, showing us that there is more than this world, that there is a life that's not meaningless, that's not empty striving, but a life that's better, a life that is forever. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for the times that we get caught up in this world, for the times where we find ourselves striving for, for more in it. It's so easy for us to live just under the sun and, and to, to limit our, our view and to limit the way we, we, we see ourselves. Father, help us to, to break out of that and instead to lift our eyes and see Jesus, to strive for Jesus, to enjoy this world that he's given, but to live for him and find our purpose and our meaning in him. Keep us in this, we pray, that our labour would not be in vain, but would be found in him. In his name we pray. Amen.